Shalom and welcome to Shalom Ariel and to this, the second part of our fifth sermon in the book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. From Matthew 23 verse 25 we read, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. We ask this question, is there a difference between clean and pure when it comes to the heart and when it comes to our mincha offering to the Lord? It brings to mind Psalm 24, when David asks, who can ascend unto the holy hill of God? And the answer comes with a few criteria, namely, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. So the understanding here is that we all can perform with outwardly clean ways, looking good, That's just what Yeshua told the Pharisees. Indeed, the outside is clean. But God is looking deeper into the recesses of the heart where purity proves our true position in relationship to God. We can be religious and do all right things and appear clean as a whistle on the outside. But let's keep in mind something very important about the mincha offering to the Lord. It was to be made of the finest of flour, the Hebrew word solet so finely crushed and refined, taken from the exclusive inner kernel of the wheat. And what does that mean? The person was to give his best. And we see that the Messiah Yeshua is representative of that finest flower, crushed, a kernel of wheat, dying unto itself so that it can bear much fruit. In order for our actions to be pure, we need to die to self. We need to consecrate every thought and our purposes for the glory of the kingdom, for the Lord, for His ways to be acknowledged, for there to be no deceitful words on our lips, and for our heart not to be lifted up to vanities, as Psalm 24 continues to tell us. How then are we pure? When we are clean in our action and pure in thought and in words. So may the Lord bless this teaching to our hearts and keep us close to his mind and purposes. Be blessed as you listen in to today's program with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon and Shalom Shalom. We are also to become holy as the Lord is holy, it says. The Mircha is a constant reminder of who the Messiah is, who we should be like. Notice the words, it remains alone, if it is not crushed. The word alone means solitary. It was used for one who is lacking companionship. On the one hand, one can see, we can see Yeshua's death so that he could have us as friends and companion. Because why? Because Yeshua is love. That is nature. And love requires that we share it with others. On the other hand, accepting Yeshua as a personal savior... You cannot just keep quiet about it. You want to share this great news with others. The believer then will produce his best and his best once he dies to sin. It is only then that he or she will find a friend in Yeshua and with others. By the way, this is explained, I believe, by Paul in Romans 14, 7 to 8. See what he says. For not one of us lives for himself. And not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 
Our life is nested in the hands of the Lord. It must be Him first always. But the process here is that once we live in Him, then we can sprinkle and pour out our blessings on others. The relationship always, remember, vertical first and then horizontal. But this mincha also recalls one important passage in the Hebrew Scriptures. See something very interesting. It is in Genesis 18.6, where the Lord... And the word here is Yud Hevavhe, visited Abraham. For this is how the text begins. See what Abraham offers him then. In Genesis 18:1, we read, Now the Lord Jehovah appeared. Can you imagine? He appeared physically to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. This, by the way, is a beautiful passage. Abraham could actually could not believe that he was hosting God. So he gets so excited, and in such a hurry, he tells Sarah in verse 6, quickly, make ready three measures of fine flour. This is the first time that the word fine flour, solet, is mentioned in the Bible. It was offered to God as it is in the mincha. In the text, in this text, the orig original Hebrew have no verb, by the way, in that sentence. Because Abraham was so excited, as if he yelled to Sarah, Sarah, three measures of fine meal. No time for the verb. But Sarah prepared three measures of solet. It became the flower for the offering to God. This is, by the way, the first of 53 times the word solet, fine flower, is mentioned. It was an offering again to the Lord. And the quantity, by the way, in this passage, in the three measures of fine meal is a lot, a lot. A measure which is a, a seed in Hebrew is almost eight liters. So three seed would be about 24 volume liters of fine flour. I don't know who, who's going to eat all that, right? Who was Abraham, by the way, gave his best and a lot of it. Let us move to the other ingredient. See that the solet had to be mixed with what? Oil. Oil. In Hebrew is shemem which is generally olive oil. And the manner with which they extracted the oil from the olive is very much like they extracted the flour from the grain. Through breaking it and through grinding it, it was so the oil, with the oil, it was with the flour. Also, together, they speak together of the great suffering of the Messiah. It is from the word Shemem that we get our word what? Getsemani. Getsemani. Which means actually oil pressed. Oil pressed. So fitting for the event that were taking place in there. The name is Aramaic. Gat for press. And Shemem for oil. The Garden of Getsemani, this is where I believe the greatest spiritual battle took place. You know, the crucifixion was only a few hours, and Yeshua reached a most critical point in his life on earth. Because at this very moment, he was to appropriate on himself all the sins of the world, all the sins which were ever committed in history. And every time they were about to bring the mincha, as far as we're concerned, we can remember all this suffering that he went through. So the oil is also a strong reminder of the anointing of the Holy Spirit who comes in us at the time of salvation and help us to look like a Messiah by strengthening us over and over. 
And when we follow the word shemen, by the way, oil, and how in the scriptures, and how it gave birth to other words, we can see a great path of sanctification through the spirit. Let me briefly show you the evolution of this word. First, we have the word shemem, right? Oil, as you can see in the screen. Second, we have the word shaman, which means fat or rich where a third other word stemmed, mishman, which means fatness, and a fourth, machman, which means like the word for richly prepared food. And with time, this word, shamem, came to designate people who are stronger and even stronger and most powerful enemies fighters. This is what we learned in Judges 3.29. It says the Israelites, when they were walking with God, they struck down at that time about 10,000 Moabites, all shamem, that is robust and valiant. As the oil symbolizes the works of the Messiah and his spirit in us, when we walk with God and give our mincha, we are on our way to become shamem, strong and ready to go forward. The third element is frankincense. Once the flour and the oil were mixed, then frankincense was poured over them. Frankincense comes from the sap of a tree and gives a very pleasant odor over and above the burnt flesh of the animal. Frankincense, lebona, is also the word for incense in the scriptures. And it is what? It is a symbol of prayer. Prayer. An important and vital element in the life of a believer. Prayer has miraculous powers. It does. One rabbi in Ben Ezra thought of frankincense as a symbol of numinous purity or celestial wisdom because he sees the word lavan, which means white, sincere in there. The whole temple was called the hill of frankincense. It was the place to meet God. We see it in Songs of Songs. It says, until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go my ways to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. This is the place of prayer. That was what the temple was. The word until the cool of the day is understood in the Targum as being the whole day. The whole day until night. The temple in this verse is also called the mountain of myrrh. The mountain of myrrh which is associated with Mount Moriah where Abraham and Isaac came to offer a sacrifice. And where the temple was built. Myrrh itself points to the suffering and death of the Messiah. And here you have it. So we have the myrrh first, which symbolizes the sacrifices, like the burnt offering. And then the frankincense, which symbolizes the prayer, like the mincha. Both together in this verse tells us that any prayer to God needs to be done over a sacrifice. That of the Messiah today. Now that we consider the ingredients in the, in the, in the offering, there is one more important truth about it. And this is important. It was always, this offering was always laid on the altar that had already blood sacrifices placed on it. It could never be given without blood. Remember that the first offer each day was a burnt offering in the temple. So then the mincha was offered daily but on top of the burnt offering. What does that mean for us today? It means that prayer or any action for God should be done in the name of Yeshua and to remember his sacrifice in our lives. It is well explained by Paul when some were debating who to follow or what to follow. 
This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Yeshua Mashiach. Yeshua left all to be our Savior. And so it is normal that he asked that we have, he has first place in our lives. He should always be the foundation of our decision, whether it is for religious or secular matters. And in so doing, we allow God to bless us in all that we are doing. So our prayer, our work, our ministry is first to God who will confirm it to you, by the way, through many, many signs. This requirement that the mincha should always be above, given after that blood is given, will clarify to us, or does clarify to us, the problem with Cain. Do you remember Cain and Abel? It was with Cain and Abel where we first encountered, by the way, this word mincha. It was used to describe both offerings. This was before the Mosaic law, when mincha may have been the word used to explain all offerings. No specifics about different sacrifices were then given. But what did God not accept Cain's offering? What was the problem? We read in Genesis chapter 4, 3 to 5. It will help us to understand some crucial things about the sacrifices here. This is what it says. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought, brought that is, of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offerings. But for Cain and for his offerings, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. That's what sin does, right? Countenance falls. Now, why is it that the Lord had no regard for Cain's sacrifice? The word regard, sahar, simply means to look, to consider. So what was wrong? The answer could be seen in Cain's heart, his heart. He was not at the right place with God. And God could not accept his sacrifice, his mincha. And this is reflected in the way he brought the sacrifice. Notice that Cain showed up before Abel with the, his mincha. And he offered it by itself to God. There was no blood there. There was no blood under or besides his own sacrifice. If he had come after Abel, then he could have understood, understand that is that he could perhaps offer his mitha over Abel's sacrifice. But here he comes first all by himself. See the difference in the offerings? Again, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel, that is, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So Cain offered only the fruit of the ground, but not with a proper heart. And the text indicates that he did not care if there was blood or not. His action exposed the true position of his heart. And see what Abel offered. He offered the fat. The fat was a symbol of prosperity and health, as we will see in the next peace offering. Abel gave his best to God, and in so doing, he recognized that God was his provider. And how telling, I want to tell you how telling this is, which describes the man Cain as a religious man, as a worshiper. Okay? And even a zealous one, because he came first. He was there first on the altar. Leviticus will show us that there's such a great, uh, big difference between what is clean and what is pure. 
There's a big difference between the two. The next chapters will elucidate these things. What can be very clean but spiritually impure? This is what Leviticus will show us. Like what is reflected in many man-made religion that put Yeshua and his word out of their congregation. They are very faithful in their sets of rules. They are very clean, but God is not there. Why are there so many religions and many denominations? For the most part, it is because man wants to do what he wants. This is Cain's syndrome, which many hearts still deal with. By the way, the spirit of Cain is still present with us today. The book of Hebrews mentions Cain as does John in his first letter, as does Jude as well. And these men were confronted, by the way, right at the birth of the church with this same rebellious and non-submissive spirit to the Lord. As for us, while there is freedom in worship, in worshiping God, this freedom is only valid if we first establish some fundamental truth of the scriptures. The first approach to God is not up to us to decide. We ought to know how he wants us to approach him. He did that in chapter 1. All of this is also well illustrated in the gospel. You know, again, when Yeshua was confronted with the religious leaders of the first century, that is in Matthew 9, okay, also repeated in Mark 2 and Luke, Luke 5, he literally, I want to tell you, made fun of them. When they asked the disciples, these people asked the disciple, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? He answered, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if you think you are righteous and pure, I did not come for you because the first approach to Jesus is to confess our sins and to tell him we're not righteous enough to approach God. And this is why he died for us. Yet these people decided that they were the righteous ones. And furthermore, they took it upon themselves to decide who is and who is not righteous. They played and they still today play God. But this he told them in the context, by the way, in the sacrifices at the temple. The first words of this verse are, by the way, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and no sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He quoted the words of Samuel, the first official prophet of Israel. Perhaps they slowly, slowly realized that Yeshua, what Yeshua meant. Like Cain, he was, he was surprised, that his Cain was surprised that God judged him and that his sacrifice was not accepted. So he killed his brother in the same way. They did not like Yeshua, and so they killed him as well. So the relation is powerful because Jesus accused them Actually, he accused the Pharisees of Abel's murder. Look what he says in Matthew 23, 35. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah, son of Bereshia, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. He accused the scribes and the Pharisees to have killed Abel, but scribes and Pharisees did not exist at the time of Abel. They came some 4,000 years later. So, who are the, the scribes and the Pharisees at this time today? All those who actually take religion and make it very difficult for the people to come to God. Now, these things leads us to two other points, two other ingredients when it comes to the sacrifice. One ingredient which is forbidden in all the offerings is leaven. And one that always 
should be part of the offering is salt. That's, and so the particularity of the mincha was that always offered over fire, never offered with leaven, always with salt. Where we'll look at these things, these two last ingredients in more details next time we meet, uh, briefly, the main reason why leaven, I believe, was forbidden at that time was perhaps to bring the worshipper back to remember one of the greatest symbols of salvation that we have in the scriptures. What is it? The Passover. It was only three months before that they had the Passover. And they had to get out very fast because the bread was not, couldn't rise. As for the salt, it was a symbol of God's covenant and promises of the surety of his fulfillment. And this is possible because the person offered the fine flour, the oil, the frankincense, over the blood, right? Now on a lighter note, let's see how we can actually remember the mincha and bring it home with us. The mixture gave a sort of semolina, semolina which we know today as couscous, couscous. You all know about this great dish. Now, many trace back the origin of couscous to the Berbers, who lived in the mountains separating Morocco and Algeria. And what is interesting is that the Berbers have a link with the Jews, and both have a link to couscous. History tells us that Jews have settled in North Africa with the Berbers since the 6th century BC, after the destruction of the first temple, and many of them lived with the Berbers since. Archaeological discoveries, epigrams, and writings of Tertullian in the second century, and of Augustine in the fourth century, and they were indignant of the growing Berbers' conversion to Judaism. This affects to the fact. And Ibn Kabdul, an Arab philosopher from the 14th century, confirmed the existence of a large number of proselyte Berbers at the time of the Arab conquest in Africa. Some have gone as far as saying that the Berbers were Jews themselves. Even today, we find many of these Berbers with Jewish-sounding names and with white skin, blue or green eyes. The point is, if historians are right, it is possible that these Jews carried with them the recipes of the mincha from the first temple, and it turned out to be today couscous. So the couscous, in the couscous, we find the origin of the mincha. I know it's a long shot. <laughs> and many will complain about this well-guarded recipes of this delicious dish. But whether it stems from the mincha or with the berbers, the next time you eat couscous, and I encourage you to do so because it's very good. Remember Leviticus 2 and the blessings which flows from it. Again, the title of this study is, Where is your mincha? How are we thanking God in our lives? How are we speaking to him and offering him the best we have? You know, to conclude, I would like to bring to you uh, I want to tell you, two great and wonderful passages of the Bible which speaks, actually, speak of the mincha. In the New Testament, the word offering, offering, prosphora, has basically the same meaning as the, the word in Hebrew, mincha. It is also used for the offering given to God. How? You know, and, and we see Paul, he used it actually to describe. And so let me bring you to Romans chapter 15 where he says, where Paul says actually, and this is beautiful, where his mincha was his ministry to the Gentiles. See how he formulates it, verse 16. To be a minister of Messiah Yeshua to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, 
the gospel of God so that my offering to the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. First, Paul must have had the temple offering in mind. He speaks of ministering as a priest. This is one word in the Greek, attributed to the priest performing sacred rites. But what was Paul offering to God, or what was his mincha, for this is what he must have meant, and not animal sacrifices since Yeshua already came, his gift to God was actually his ministry. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was chosen for this. And so he says, my offering to you, God, are the Gentiles to whom you sent me. Every Gentile which came to God through him, every Gentile he discipled and prayed for, he considered a mincha to God. And we should consider actually every fruit we produce for God. This is a mincha. But what will the Gentiles give in return? or will give in return. This is when we come to one very touching passage of Isaiah, which speaks of the Gentiles' mincha, as Isaiah actually uses the same word. Let's go to Isaiah 66, the last chapter of this book. There the Lord gives a prophecy about the Jewish people, emphasizing the work of the many Jews in the first century who brought the word to the nation. And it also points, perhaps, to the works of the 144,000 during the tribulation, since this chapter brings us to the threshold of the millennium. This is what he says, verse 19. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nation and they will declare my glory among the nations. He compares the Jewish remnant who preach the good news as a sign that is an art in Hebrew, which is like a miracle. But now, see how the nations will answer to this great miracle. Look at verse 20. Then they... The Gentiles shall bring all your brethren, Israel, from all the nation as a grain offering, mincha, to the Lord, on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, and on camels, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the sons of Israel bring their mincha, grain offering, in the clean vessels in the house of the Lord. Here at the end. The nations of the world will answer the blessing they got from the word of God from the Jews, by offering them mincha. What would it be? They will help the Jewish people back to their land as their offering to God. This, I want to tell you, is a most beautiful picture. Paul made it his offering to proclaim the word of God to the Gentile, and the, the Gentiles, once they realized it, they made it their offering to help Jews back to their land. And the question is, where is your mincha? Anything you do for the kingdom of God, this is Amen. Let's bow our head in prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, as we contemplate all that we've learned from this great book of Leviticus, today we, we ask that you teach us your ways, show us your path, for your ways are good ways, and all your paths are wise. Teach us common sense, Lord, as you define it. Give us your wisdom for solving our problems, for investing our time and money, and for establishing our priorities. And Lord, our God in the Messiah, we have, you have made us your children. And as we have heard your call and have gathered here together to praise you, to hear your word, to call on you, and to lay in your hands whatever afflicts us 
and whatever we need, deliver us from all that is fearful and despairing, all that is vain and defiant, even all of our unbelief and superstitions. Help us to see life in the life in the light that is of eternity and see you in the light of your word. All this we pray in Yeshua's name and to the congregation. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-888-685-5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H, A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monklin Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer a simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.